Hey, can you flesh that out for me? Wow. Tell me a little bit more Swimming about that. in shallow waters. Are you serious? Okay, let's go a little deeper. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Listen and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Marshall, taking you through 90 days and 12 weeks, tackling burnout, codependency, and people-pleasing at the root. Uh, this is not about me. This is about my guest, who I am so excited to have on, Artashir Mehran. Doctor, he is a psychologist, behavioral researcher, business leader, leadership coach. He's got a doctorate and a master's from Columbia University. He's a keynote speaker, podcast guest, marathon runner, and author of the book, You Are Not Depressed, You Are Unfinished. Doctor, welcome to Listen and Speak podcast. Thank you so much, Jamal Marshall. Honored to be with you and with your um, listener. And I'm here and welcoming questions about helping our people that you mentioned, people pleasing, burnout, what we put up with in this world, but what is going on? So I love it. I can't wait for us to dig deeper. Yeah, I've been licking my chops for this episode because I'm just really excited about what's going to get unearthed between the two of us, uh, from my guests and also for your audience as well. Uh, but before we go deep and before we go there, uh, I want to ask you a question that I ask each of my guests. And it's weird. My listeners will remind me when I don't ask people this question. I'm like, man, y'all are really on it. Doc, what is your favorite genre of music and how has it informed the way you show up in life, how you do business both personally and also professionally? OK, I'll be honest. Um, it's country music. Really? Country music. And uh, so I'm an immigrant and people say that, why country music? I said, if I were born in the United States, I wanted to be born in Nashville. I would have been a cowboy and I would have learned to play guitar. And people says, okay, and you're a psychologist. Everybody says, you're losing me. The reason is what I love about country music is the straight. When they talk about love, hate, being dumped by a man and woman, a pickup truck, their shotgun, they put it on the table straight. I love it when people talk in a language that is very direct, comes from the heart, and is earnest. In fact, the whole last night I was listening to Rosanna Cash's Seven Years Itch. I love that song. And also I play guitar. I I'm very bad at it. Don't ask me to do it. <laughs> I love when I can hear the guitar, I can hear the beat and the tune with that. So that's my music. And when I'm by myself, I'm swimming in country music with good beat and good lyrics. Doc, I love that answer. I have a few favorite genres and it's weird. For me, it's not country, it's contemporary country, just because it's a little softer and I can I can get into it. And one of my favorite songs is by an artist uh, by the name of Leanne Womack. It's called I Hope You Dance. Yeah. For those who are scared, it's just like, man, stop being fearful. Get off the bleachers. Get off your behind get out there, take some risk and, and receive the rewards that come with those risks. And I even think from a psychological level, it's just so many layers in that song. So the fact that you said country, I was like, oh, we got something in common here. So the, if I can build on it, so in my book, which I hope we can talk about it, there are the chapter seven chapters about emotional rights. And each chapter, there's a Spotify playlist code over there. So there's already created a Spotify 10 songs per chapter. You just go there, scan it with your Spotify and some of the songs, you name the genre and there's some countries over there that talks about that. The, the music tells the story of human emotions and I've organized it. So just you get to the music, it tells the story. I see your face is already lit up. So <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I'm excited for her. And we'll put the the book link and everything like that in the show notes uh, for those who are, who are interested in getting that book. And I want to talk a little bit about the book, You Are Not Depressed, You Are Unfinished. And one thing I tell uh, each of my clients and one thing I had to go through myself is that the very thing that annoys you the most is a problem that you were created to solve. And how often, and it, this is this can sound a little bit more faith-based, but it's actually very practical. Your misery becomes your ministry. And ministry is simply service. The very thing that puts you in the darkest hole becomes the platform that you serve others through, you know, when you've overcome and when you are still in your process. Uh, so I want to just ask, what event caused you to come to the place where you wanted to challenge the traditional views and paint outside the lines when it comes to mental illness? Got it. Thank you. I didn't know I'll be doing this. So I'm a trained psychologist. I went to Columbia. I got my doctorate, triple major. I have four masters, double major, undergraduate, a lot of degrees. I was obsessed with one question all my life. Why am I depressed? Why is my mom so depressed? Why is my dad depressed? Depression in ordinary people has a look. You're there, but you're not there. Your mom is looking at you, but she's not there. And when you see her every now and then, she has a sigh. Ah, someday this will happen. When we have a little more money, when kids are behaving, and when life is easier, they're always waiting. Very soon I realized that was my story. I was in a sense of darkness, heaviness, and I come came to accept that this is life. And I talked to my brothers, to my professors. They said, it's life. Life is painful. Deal with it. I didn't believe in that. I believe that divine doesn't create us to suffer. I felt there's something off target when we accept misery as fate, as a fact of life. The way that happened to me in 2012, I was a successful executive, making good money, promoted, given more responsibility, a role model, a smile on my face, life of the party. I remember when people were saying that. And deep down, I was contemplating how do I commit suicide? And the new year of 2012 is in my book when I pray to God, God, I have nothing left. I'm basically a slab of concrete. I have no mojo. I have no juice. Can't even think anymore. I'm sleeping next to my beautiful wife, but I have nothing left. Don't drag this on. Take me out. And I didn't know how to like, take a gun, go and jump in the front of the train. And I was just dying. I could see I would go to work and nobody knew that my hands were shaking. It was an anxiety attack. I was really flat and I was plowing through. Later I learned a lot of people do that. A lot of people do that, especially I have data that senior professionals, they have two to three times higher rate of anxiety, depression, suicide, substance abuse, ADHD, obsessive compulsive than the general population, but they plow through. They have a smile on their face and nobody knows it. Then there was a pivotal moment. 3rd August, 2012, Sundays, I typically get up, make a black cup of coffee in our kitchen, 6.30, watch the sun rise from the oak tree on our house to my right, and I just journal. That Sunday, I think divine guided. And all the questions I've been asking over the years was, how do I heal my depression? That morning, I asked, what is depression? And why is depression healing is so hard. When I start to think about what is depression, I realize we psychologists, and I say this with a lot of love, we psychologists make things up. We, when you look at the definition of depression, you get the wonderful list of symptoms, like a low energy, then 
people had loss of appetite, loss of, you know, sexual um, joy and the concentration and then it's the, the dropping us to one. Those are symptoms. Those are not depression. Depression, I start to think about things, books, lectures, uh, people I've met with depression at its core is a sense of mourning, sense of grieving, sense of the loss that you know it. And you see fragments of what it could be. We don't get depressed. We get depressed about something. That morning, suddenly I saw my brain is almost, I went to transfusion. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And all these images, books, Dr. Freud, Dr. Adler, my patients, my first patients in Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital in New York City, the images, their faces come and tell me a story. And I realized I'm on a course to unveil something because that the very first thing was, if I didn't, I would have died. I wouldn't have been here. And went through my notes and became the genesis of my book that we don't get depressed. We get depressed when I tell people basically what it means. There's some basic human needs, human emotions didn't happen for you. There are things missing for you at this point, or they were fragmented, they were violated. Once you know what's missing, you can go there and restore what wasn't happening for you. And every person is different. Go and the journey of healing is journey of restoration. Like I work with wood when I'm, it was a way to relax. I take all wood and replenish it. The first thing is you get all the stuff on it, get the paint out, get the varnish, get whoever over the years, get to the essential groove, initial pattern of the wood, see the beauty of that and think about how do I replenish this wood? That's our soul. And once you do that, realize that the goodness that designed the hell was always inside. There were a bunch of stuff. Like when you say people pleasing, a bunch of stuff was put on us for us to survive. We start to do that. That's not you. Once you see yourself, the journey of healing is a straightforward. We people are complex. We are not complicated. It was a long answer, Jamal. You know, did it make sense? It made complete sense to me, Doc, because I thought about my own journey through a lot of that. And I, who was in 2009, formerly suicidal, I know what that's like, Doc. I know the pain of that. And the funny thing is, is I love the way you qualified everything that was going on in your life at that time. Yeah. So many times, if you think about the social media space and we see these hyper curated images of all sorts of executives and social media managers and just people who influencers that look like they have it all. I know what my M's look like and I know what my calendar looks like. It's like, oh, how could this person be suicidal? And obviously for me, I'm never shocked because I know what I went through. And those of us that have this surface level thing, especially when we're used to being in survival mode and pleasing people and not kicking up dust, we know how to put forth an image that keeps people at bay while inside we are dying. And it takes a choice to get gut level honest like you did and say, you know what? I want to live and I have what I need. God's given me what I need inside of me to be able to choose life. But to not do it from a symptomatic standpoint, um, we do similar work with clients. Let's do this from the inside out instead of the outside. In. And so I'm picking up exactly what you're putting down because we're all on accord. But I thank you that you didn't just go into the work you do. You went into your story. And that goes to show me that what you do is connected to your why. We have so many people in our own field, like you said, psychologists make stuff up who are just money grabbing. And it's not attached to who they are. It's just attached to what they can make in the revenue. So you've already made an impression on me. Thank you. And I tell my wife, she and I talked about it, that when I leave this earth on my tomb, if they allow, I want the following beyond it. He helped discover the cure for depression and ease the pain of millions. 
I was born for this and I will not get distracted. And I tell people I went and I got all sort of academic credentials, but I learned in the school of life. So people who work with me, they actually, they go point their fingers across them and says, you get me, you get me. Those executives, those people, they want somebody who don't do psychology on them. Is the story of a person that is dormant. They need to meet themselves. And it's very straightforward. Come home to yourself and you'll be okay. That's it. You've made a, an impression on me because I've seen so much in our own field, Doc, that is just so many quacks. And uh, we know post-COVID, everything now is a life coach. It has so much great marketing. Even, I'm going to call them out, BetterHelp. It, there's just doing so much more damage than good in the field of mental health and the field of wellness. And so to see someone not only who is credentialed, but more importantly, has gone through the school of life, has had a Kairos moment that has flipped the script and is still doing that. It just blesses my heart. My heart is full, man. So I do want to ask, as I was reading through the Bill of Emotional Rights and these I am statements that are really powerful, what was the inspiration behind that? Because so many times we can focus, especially those of us that are thinkers that stay up here, what we're not. And so what was the inspiration that birthed that? The faces of pain of my mom and the patients that I worked with. So this work revealed itself to me. You know the statement, when the student ready, ready teacher will come. So I remember the very first time I was a rookie therapist working in Bayview Psychiatric Hospital. In my 20s, immigrant, wasn't married. I wasn't in the dating scene. And so basically, I knew nothing about life. But I remember I was working and for some reason, they thought I was a good clinician. They would assign me to working with really severe schizophrenia, then substance abuse, suicidal, drug addicts, the homeless people in New York City, people who were basically broken. And I remember as I was meeting with them, something would happen. I would put my note because as a rookie, you're supposed to follow a script. Then you take copious notes. Something I would say that this is a person. I'm going to take the notes later. While they're sitting in front of me, I'm just going to honor them. And a lot of time, I was scared of them. I thought they're going to beat the crap out of me, you know, because they were violent at that time. And I said, this is a person who's been hurt, who's been abused, who's been rejected, unseen. And I'm just going to honor them. And I would sit them eye contact, even though when I was scared, but I would see you and honor you. And I realized several things would happen rapidly. They would calm down, their voices would calm down, and they would see me. And I was thinking, they haven't experienced being seen, being appreciated, and treated with dignity. Then they would start to talk about, you know, like when you work with schizophrenia, they tell you like a lot of crazy stuff. And I realized their stories start to make sense. The gibberish would dis dissipate and would tell the story. I grew up in Wisconsin. I was in Idaho. I was abused. I was six years old that I was raped repeatedly. Story of hurt. And I feel that nobody's listening to them. People take notes, diagnosing them, put them on medication. They just want to be heard. Then the third thing would happen. They were talking about what they wish they had. I wish somebody loved me. I wanted a job. Like in my book, I would talk about the, one of my early patients who wanted to go work for Harley Davidson because that was his salvation. He didn't know, he didn't have a motorcycle, didn't know how to ride a motorcycle, didn't have money to buy a motorcycle or go to, to Wisconsin. But they were looked, he was looking for a dream to save himself. As I listened to that person, to those individuals and other people around me and throughout the life that I went to corporation, realized when you listen to people, 
and not trying to judge them, give them label, burnout, psychological safety, and that, and listen to their stories. Very soon, the stories start to look alike. Different places, different names, but a story of they're seeking something, wanting something, something didn't happen for them, and they know they want that. Many of them, they want to say, I wish somebody loved me. Somebody was there for me. I wish there was a mom. There was a dad. I never had a home. I wish somebody respected me. I wish I had a better body. I wish I knew where, where I was going. That is story very soon started to become my story. So I was taken, you mentioned I'm a behavioral researcher. I listen, I take notes and take mental pictures. Realize, oh my gosh, they're telling me something. The world is teaching me something. And I start to organize it. I had tons of posted notes, you know, you see flip chart. And then this start to coalesce then the, to some patterns, emotional rights. Then without telling anybody, I was doing coaching or therapy. I started to bring that to my sessions, experimenting. So when people talked about something, I would tell them, tell me about this. What is it you're seeking? And they would say something, I want a Ferrari, I want to go... But what is it in that Ferrari you're looking for? They realize there's a bare bone emotional needs they have. Ferrari represented that. And I started to build that and I give it back to people saying that these are seven emotional needs. When they're high, when you're low, it looks like this. People say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you got it. You know, this is it. That's what I'm missing. That's what I'm missing. So gradually that became the impetus bringing this work and I remember that I told that to my wife and several people saying that this work is not mine anymore. I'm just a delivery guy. I'm a UPS guy that I was supposed to learn this, give it to the world, let the work with the world work with this open source. But that was the genesis. I learned from people, the, my patient and my clients and my mom, they taught me the story of humans searching for something. This is the story of people. Very powerful answer. and. While we're searching, just while you were talking, I, I couldn't help but think of the fact that these are legitimate needs, but we can become almost nearly hard-coded to meet them illegitimately. And those become patterns. And the work I do often tell clients, you know, the problem is in the pattern. Power is in the pause. I, I, I'm going to trademark that. So those of you guys who want to steal that, just it's already trademarked legally. I'll try it. <laughs> I love that. Examine the why behind the what. What exactly am I looking for? And so when you think of like any type of addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, illicit sex, shopping, eating, all of those different things, there is a legitimate need at the core of that that is being met illegitimately. And even those emotional needs, even that desire for affirmation, it's not a bad thing. It has just been so symptomatically covered up through bad things. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. That's beautiful. If I build on it, the reason I call them the bill of emotional rights, these are at very essential. These are biological and spiritual. Parents don't give it to us. Society, teacher, partners, managers, we are born to live, fulfill, and claim them. Nobody has taught us. And I share this with my colleagues that in the knowledge of psychological pain, pathology, schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive, anxiety, depression. We have a vast body of knowledge. Ask anybody, what does emotional health look like? Means we don't have an answer. There's a scientific gap. There's scientific gap. We talk about Abraham Maslow, hierarchy needs, and maybe Victor Frankl, the man's search for meaning. We 
we never spend time thinking about what does it mean to be healthy in life? What are people seeking? My work is about filling that gap. And then we are wired deep down. We know that you're seeking them. So you talked about addiction. Addiction is substitution because when we don't have those needs, address them. That's where anxiety and depression come in. Anxiety means anxiety is about control, predictability, stability. We feel I'm, I'm free falling. There's something going on. And then depression is that I'm longing for that. When that happens and we tolerate that, that turns to pain, emotional pain, a spiritual pain, and physical pain. People, those wonderful executives you mentioned, all you have to do, ask them to open their briefcases or purse or backpack. There's a bunch of medicine in it. They take medications. And we know for women and deal with a lot of gastrointestinal problems, men, cardiovascular, heart attack, sudden heart attack. And that's where addiction come in. Addiction is a numbness and distraction. So you can't treat addiction. You need to go see the disconnection, isolation, unfulfillment is at the core of it. That would help to heal addiction. Addiction is a substitution. as a way to numb yourself because it hurts so much. Mic drop for the doc. <laughs> you are on fire, man. We are so on one accord and, and so many different things. And, you know, even when you speak of that, it, it just makes me think of the way we go on autopilot. And I love so many parts of, of your book and even the way you come across in your business model of let me go against the grain. You know, you see on my, my profile on LinkedIn, it says pattern disruptor. Let's actually disrupt these familiar patterns uh, that have put us on autopilot that make us feel like, oh, this is just the right thing to do. There's an ancient writing that says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. It's like, what are those ways that just seem right? And even in our field of psychology and mental wellness, what are the ways that seem right, but they end in death? And what are those things that we were after the, the highly quantifiable? But when it comes to the emotional needs, because we can't tangibly like lay a hold of it or that doesn't make sense, but that's the actual path to healing. That's right. So again, man, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And I, I did just want to ask like for somebody like you who has been so accomplished and who has had those, I call them cataclytic moments, you know, like in 2012, like that was the, the cataclytic moment for you. Like, wait a minute, something's got to change here. And is doing this work in these amazing spaces. What still keeps you up at night? People need to know this work. Every week, I have several calls, people who find me through social media, listen to me, friends of the friends, understand that there's a struggle. And me, my family, putting up with that. The struggle basically is that me, my daughter, yesterday I was meeting with the woman executives and my daughter, nine-year-old daughter, already have significant anxiety problem. They're, impacting the whole family on medication, multiple therapists. And when you listen to them, and basically the child is mimicking the family dynamics. And so there's a language of let's get real. I mean, the Joan Rivers, the comedian, you know, like years ago, one of her line of love says, can we talk? So in a very earnest way, I say that, can we talk? It's not your daughter. Your daughter is reflecting the dynamics of the family. And as I say, can I ask you some questions that what is the quality of loving the family? So I was going after the emotional rights. To what extent there's a bond, there's a connection. And she says, what? we all love each other a lot. And I say that loving means that I see you as you are, as a mom, high achieving mom. I'm not here to give you advice. I just want to see you, put my arms around you. You're already cool. 
you're a wonderful young girl. Just be, you know, like have fun together. Bring it to your body. Enjoy the food. Enjoy going for a hike. So what keeps me at night is that there's a lot of emotional, private emotional struggles all across that it can be healed, can be surfaced and resolved and get them out of our society. That's what I'm focusing on to bring my message, bring this information. I'm an open source. Give it to the world. Suffering discretionary. We tolerate that because nobody told us differently. We right away go ask for medication, for diagnosis, for treatment. There's a straightforward solutions to that. That's, that's the thing I need to do. Get this message out. Let people know it and they run with it. And I'm not worried about copyright. People want it. Do this, do that. Use it, build on it, but put it to work. Put it to work. That really sounds like you care more about the person than the performance. We see so much in our industry about high performance and, and high achievers because, of course, it's a marketable word. It means 70% of my clientele are, are high achievers, but actually 90% because they, they got to get it done. But the thing is, is they're achieving, but not addressing what's the root causes of the behavior that brought them to me. And so we're done. When we're done working together, they're like, wow, now I see it. And so I see a similarity in what you're saying. It's just like, let's stop achieving. Let's stop performing and let's actually get to healing. It, it, it reminded me, I was listening to a podcast a while ago between Lewis Howes and podcast. I can't think about his name, but he, he talked about, Lewis was sharing his story about how there's so much in the market about performance and achieving. Like, these are the steps to do to get the achievement. And he's like, I've achieved everything. But there's still parts in my, the depth of the depth of me and my mind and my heart that need to be healed. And so we have a similar desire of what keeps us up. It's like, I just want people to get this. I want people to stop wasting time and revenue on what just deals with the surface and actually get to the root. That's right. That's right. And in fact, I love that. In fact, um, so when I went to graduate school, the model was, um, we were joking about that, but I was in New York City at that point. That you're a graduate, you started a clinic down in Manhattan. You get a few clients that you stay with you for months and years. Before you know it, you can buy your Jaguar. And I was just thinking, this is weird. I don't want people to come and see me, you know? So the work that I do, once you learn the emotional right and some basic elements and tell people with five sessions with me, you're good to go. You don't need more than that. Yes, if you want, we can do another five, another five. But once you learn the element of your design, you see your emotional needs, where, where you compromise, what exists, what doesn't exist. And some basic elements to claim yourself, nurture that with five sessions, starting with the first session, you take off. And everybody, they go something like that. Holy, I don't want to use the word that there says, I've been tolerating. I don't want to do that anymore. So there are people, and I don't recommend it. People said, you know, I'm out of this relationship. I'm quitting this. I'm setting new boundaries. I have a better job. You know, like that in terms of finding you, you will be in a different path. You will be in a different path. I was like, you keep it simple in a way that goes and targets right where the need is. We all are very needy, but it's actually isolating what is the need and what is a healthy way in a sustainable and repeatable way, I like to say, <laughs> to meet that need. My goodness, Doc, uh, this has been an episode where I, I feel like I'm talking to a, a colleague that I would love to like meet in person. But I say newly, I love it. I'm loving it. I'm just thinking, I'm going to meet this, you know, Jamal. <laughs> I love it. Well, you're from my home state and uh, you've come out here. So at some point, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, but we'll make it happen. 
Yes. So as we're getting ready to close out here, um, I'm going to add the the book, the website link and your social links. All that will be in the show notes. Um, I typically like to break the rule as a podcaster and ask just because I know we're, as we're in Q4 and going into another year, are there any initiatives, anything you have going on that you want my guests and your audience to know about that would not be listed in the show notes? I will be in terms of initiative. I will be. So people have asked me to offer workshops. The reason is, uh, so the, the way we heal, healing is a contact sport. When we have emotional struggles, there are several things happen. We start to distrust our body because body hurts. That's where addiction comes in. We numb our body. That's where, you know, gastrointestinal. We feel isolated. Nobody knows me. I cannot tell this person, that person. That another thing happened with our sense of agency, that I can do something about me, my emotions. Those three things, presence, connection, agency, they get compromised. We can be very successful, but they get compromised. So I'm delivering workshop starting November that bringing group of people together and walk them through journey, the title for that, this is the draft title, a place where you find yourself and you hear other people's story and you create a pack, creating a space for me to hear your story. You hear my story and the scale of going from empathy to be a sense of atoned witness. For us to heal, several things need to happen. We need to tell our story. Our story needs to be heard, heard by a person who is an atoned witness. Atoned witness is that I see you, your entirety, and it's good. It's honored. You cannot do anything to piss me off. You're good. Just be you. Once we do that for each other, our bodies calm down, our soul calms down, our fire is get directed. So I'm organizing that for people to come together and walk each other home, walk each other to their journey. And I will guide them, give them the tool, give them the direction, give them the knowledge, but help them set them up for them to go. So if you follow me on my website, on my social media, I will offer it because people are asking me and I've been just busy about building up, but but bring it for the people to walk home together. Awesome. So that will be on this website. If you guys want to check that out, if you feel like, okay, I'm listening to this, I'm working, I need this. Now, people listen to this podcast all the way from Hawaii to Tokyo. For those who cannot make it in person, I'm hoping there's a virtual component to that. <laughs> it, it is virtual. This is virtual. And I organize it by time zone because there are people in Europe, you mentioned Asia, you know, East Coast, West Coast. This is, this is virtual. Yeah, I'm thankful that because a very global audience um, tunes in very faithfully. So, Doc, thank you so much. You already gained a nickname in me. <laughs> I really have appreciated uh, everything you've thrown down, the work that you do, the work that is actually disrupting our field of work because it needs a lot of disruption and it's actually getting to the heart of the matter. I feel like I'm on one accord with you and so thankful for you coming on the Listen to Speak podcast today. Thank you so much, Jamal, to you for this beautiful conversation, to your wonderful you. I want to get to know you and to our audience. One word of, if I can share with some, something with people, people say, where do I start? Follow the energy. Energy that comes within you is your divine guidance. Energy, energy knows. It's your wisdom. And you, energy, you can ignore it. You can numb it. It will not go away. Follow the energy. See what excites you, what freaks you out, what you get interested in. Follow that. Your energy, there's a wisdom to that. That's the be you that brings you home. All right, folks, make sure you sit with that. Thank you so much, Doc. Grace and peace to you, man. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jamal. We're at the end of our show. I just want to thank you for coming to take the time to get into it with us over here at Listen Then Speak. We do want to ask that you would feel free to visit the website at www.listenthenspeak.com. Drop us off some feedback. And if you also want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email me at jmarsh1218 at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I want to leave my guests with one thing. What is one thing that can help each of us to listen, then speak and broach topics with our fellow man in a manner that is mutually beneficial? Feel free to join us next week. Take care, everyone. Grace and peace.